Good afternoon and welcome back to Trial by Fire podcast with Stacy and Rach. Stace, how are you doing? Oh, I think I'm doing all right today. Good. Well, it is it is weird, like kind of gloomy, but kind of like warmish day here. Uh, today is the first um, day back at the fall semester in this county for a, a lot of people over here in California. Uh, so I will admit I need more caffeine than ever because my teacher brain is still on, but uh, so glad to be here today. And we're going to be continuing um, our conversation from our last recording about some of the arguments we face as Catholics and the right, uh, not the right response, but the Catholic response that we would be giving. So uh, to kick us off, Stacy's going to lead us in opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in our day of battle. Be our safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl through the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Oh my gosh, that sounds really unoriginal, but today more than ever, I needed St. Michael, so, you yes. know, <laughs> it's been a rocky day, what can I say, and hopefully, hopefully we can be pretty smooth today, because I know sometimes people think that we record simultaneously, but we have been on a two-week hiatus to try to come back and do a, a seamless part two, yes. which will be interesting. Oh, and it is wild, because... So much has happened, not only in our personal lives, our professional lives, and then also just in the world the past two weeks. I really feel the timing of this podcast and what we say could not be more like freakishly on. There are just so many things that I just go, wow, like it, it was like almost like a premonition almost to be like, we really need to talk about this. And it just it gets hammered in so good over the course of our life. And so uh, to give our listeners a refresher of what happened last time, we talked about if you could be a modern Catholic and woke at the same time. And yeah. it you know, some of the comments we got were so interesting uh, because I think it is such a complex issue. And it, we, I think we did a really neat job of showing all the different points of view. Uh, but then it segued into an activity I have done with our uh, teenagers as they prepare for confirmation. And oh boy. Did some of the comments we get were pretty interesting. Um, what we did, really right? <laughs> some, some of them I'm not going to repeat because I think y'all would call nine one one looking for uh, mental assistance for me. Yeah, <laughs> for us. Wait, I couldn't believe. So, uh, like I, uh, Stacy mentioned, some of the, you guys think that these are like streamlined right away. You know, there's some breaks. I can't tell you how many times Stacy and I screenshot and go to each other. And go, what was this? <laughs> It was interesting. But uh, one of the biggest uh, hurdles that we got uh, was people asking why we felt the need to defend our faith. And I find that such an interesting concept because the way I was brought up into the Catholic Church, especially when it came for confirmation, they were assembling us as young people to be these soldiers for Christ oh and gosh, understand, right? Right. It, it was just my generation of Excuse this. Me, audience, yeah, I'm no, right. I'm me. just saying that oh. was my time, the way I grew. So for me, it just seemed like so obvious, like, Oh, I'm going to be defending this faith at my teenage years. Oh, I was ready. Fast forward through my teens and 20s and 30s, and I'm like, ha ha, it's much harder than you ever expect when you first get confirmed. But when you are living as a modern Catholic and you're going through these things, the idea of defending your faith isn't necessarily about like keeping your weapons and everything ready to go be like, hey, I'm a Catholic. But no, it's actually more about understanding our faith and really knowing why we believe what we do why the church is founded on these principles and that knowledge is defense. Uh, I don't need to be that teen bopper soldier for Christ that I was brought up to be, but it was, um, but I feel like the defense question that really threw me in the comments because multiple people were asking why I felt this need to defend. And I'm like, wow, it was, it was very odd. Okay, you ready for the new segment, Random Thoughts by Stacy? Yes! <laughs> so, 
that's the that's one of the great enigmas slash like dichotomies of the Catholic Church because early on you see they were actually really great apologists. And you see the early saints and the early actual Christians, you see them defending their faith, uh, oftentimes with their life, and it doesn't pan out too well for them, right? Uh, But that's funny, you know, that we're just not so good at that in this day and age as Catholics, because, you know, you read any of the the Desert Fathers or the early Church Fathers, you know, like uh, Ignatius of Antioch or Athanasius, and these are great apologists. These are great uh, writers in early Catholicism that even uh, some of our newer saints and even modern-day theologians are relying on. They're going back to these ancient texts. Um, I think, you know, I, I speak to this kind of a lot, and I think people probably think I'm obsessed with it. I'm, I'm not. It's just a reality that, <laughs> you know, the lack of catechesis in our church today, you know, in in and with that lack of catechesis came a lack of apologetics. And, you know, if you look at it, and you just kind of scratch the surface of it, but why aren't we better defenders of our faith? I mean, really, how can you defend something that you don't understand or you don't know that much about? Mm-hmm. And that's just scratching the surface. And not in a judgmental way am I saying that. It's just the reality of it. You know what I mean? Um, other things that you are way more uh, well-versed in, you would be willing to defend or argue or do whatever it took. But you can't really do that with something that you just, so much uncertainty. You're not solid on. And so I think that one of the things that probably took some of our, you know, audience kind of off guard, especially those who are not Catholic, although some, some of the comments were from Catholics, actually, also, to be, uh, to be fair, um, but across our social uh, media platform, I think some people were kind of taken aback by the fact that, like, you know, we were talking about defending the faith. Because when it comes to the various religions of the world, um, we are not known anymore as defenders of our faith. You know, yeah. we are not really well versed in the Bible. So when it comes to some of these other, like, evangelical churches who really can um, not only, you know, are they Bible toters, so to speak, they can quote the Bible. And we just, that's not something that we're very proficient in anymore. So if another person comes up to you from a a different faith, especially some kind of uh, other form of Christianity, um, you know, and if you have a dialogue with them, an actual respectful intellectual dialogue with them, um, you know, when you can't give chapter and verse, that's really uh, mind-blowing to them and really disparaging because they can, uh, you know, quote chapter and verse as proof uh, for their arguments, and we can't. And we definitely, we lack in that, and I think that's where, uh, I wouldn't say some of the hate mail came from, but it was definitely, <laughs> it was definitely a point of contention for some people, because it was like, how can you claim to be great defenders of the faith? You don't defend your faith anymore. And that was a really interesting point that I was feeling, reading some of our comments this uh, past, co- uh, past couple weeks, and I really took it and like, of course, my PhD brain's immediately like, oh my gosh, I have to research this. And uh, one of the things I found for myself when I was trying to answer this question is really we look at our generation now and we are a product after the scientific revolution. Where, you know, before our earliest saints, the first fathers of our church, they relied solely on faith and utilizing that as we spread the word of God and expanded the, the Christianity across the world. Then we have the scientific revolution and we have all these things for, especially in modern thinkers saying that, no, everything has to have physical evidence, not just evidence, not just faith. No, I have to have tangible, feel it in my hands, proof that what you're saying is true or I don't believe it and really started implementing these seeds of doubt and separation in people. And when I look at, especially now, now you ramp it up with technology, instant gratification, smartphones, everything is so quick. It's even harder to go back to your Catholic foundation that is so fundamentally built on faith and trust in God. When then you're going to have opposers look at you and go, prove it. Where's the proof? Give me that. Hand it to me. And I think it's a unique 
challenge as we defend because we are felt all of our actions all of our choices are coming from this point where you're like oh i believe this i trust in this but people are gonna be like hand it to me show it to me and that and that really i had to look at the way i view defense in a totally different way um because some of those are some of the questions we were getting i was like all right i'm deep diving this <laughs> That also goes along with what I was speaking to on the last episode of why a, a good uh, Catholic in good standing, a practicing Catholic can't be woke. Because we actually, uh, you know, there are many famous Catholic scientists. I think like Blaise Pascal, um, maybe Rene Descartes, uh, who else? Louis Pasteur. There was a lot of people that were very faithful Catholic. Um, faith uh, transcends science, but it can go hand in hand. But uh, speaking, you know, to the correlation with the idea of being woke is, I think we are seeing this massive shift in society now where um, I think we briefly touched on it about uh, the fact that there is no more absolute truth, which in itself is a complete falsehood. We've moved to a more subjective truth, even unfortunately, um, you know, I'm a huge science nerd. I mean, I actually have a degree in environmental science. So, I mean, I love science, but we have actually moved to where we were seeing even science can be subjective, uh, which is completely erroneous and false in itself. It's one thing to propose a theory and kind of have to conduct experiments with control groups, excuse me, control groups and whatnot, and kind of either, you know, the theory is disproved or it's proven. But we now, uh, many times we look at science and we, it's no longer like an absolute truth. It is, it has become subjective. It's not as empirical as it once was, which is mind-blowing to me. But, um, you know, it has become more along the lines, I would almost say, uh, it's become kind of ideological. Mm -hmm. Which is a shame because now we're doing the one thing with science that we kind of accuse uh, faith and religion of doing, of, of bending it to man's needs. Now we see the same thing kind of occurring with science where it, we're bending it to man's needs, so to speak. You know, and, and that, I mean, that in itself to me is almost like the final dagger for the, you know, the concept of absolute truth. Yeah. You know, because what do you do when you don't, when you no longer have uh, an agreed upon empirical knowledge? I, I just don't, I honestly, is going to be dead radio silence for a few seconds because I really don't know where we go from there. No, I agree. It's such... It's such an interesting time, not only, and, and I'm not trying to say this in terms of just solely a Catholic platform. I'm talking as a human being. When suddenly all these norms of like, okay, this is it, A, B, C, suddenly you're trying to flip the script and make it individualized to the person. That That's a very scary road. It's a very scary road for anyone to go down. But seeing society like happily leap into that direction it's very interesting it's kind of weird because if you think about it that's one of the things that people i always get uh i'm always kind of mystified by people who claim to be atheists and they equate that with this level of intellectualism and i that kind of also baffles me um because i don't understand it i don't understand how, how that those two things are equated um, no doubt, I think that you can be super, super smart, um, you know, Mensa level even, and be an atheist or vice versa. But I don't equate someone who is uh, atheistic with them actually of like supernatural intellect. I would agree. I, I don't understand because I, I guess for me, it doesn't intellectualism and faith are not even in the same vein for me. Uh, I feel like your relationship with God, your relationship with your faith, that has nothing to do with how smart you are. You could be dumb as a box of nails or Mensa and still have a relationship with Christ and God. Yeah, I mean, I under I agree, but at the same time, I do understand for some people that are super intellectual, such great minds, they struggle with certain concepts of religion and spirituality. But I just feel like for a while, it was very trendy to be an atheist or to be agnostic mm -hmm. and in some kind of way it became equated with being part of this like you know superior kind of intellectual movement 
which I mean, like I said, kind of baffles me and blows my mind because I don't see the correlation in the two. Um, the weird thing for me is that having always been Catholic is the thing that's always kind of thrown back at me about um, either that I'm not that smart or I'm not a relative intellect. That's why I have the beliefs that I do. But the fact that um, the reason that I have the beliefs that I do is because I'm not smart enough to figure out why that those beliefs can't work. That I have to go with it's a mystery. <laughs> and that's how I feel that gap of knowledge, like making the leap from knowledge to non-knowledge, so to speak. I, that I would fill it with, it's a mystery. It can't be explained. Or it's fake. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And that's totally not the way it is. Certainly there are things that I don't understand or I can't figure out. And not to sound cliche, mysteries that probably won't be revealed, you know, until I go to my, hopefully, my eternal reward and enjoy the beatific vision. But, I mean, I am a human. I am part of the human race. My intellect is limited. That's just the way it is. I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like when we talk about that trend of like atheist agnostic and higher level intelligence, like the first thing that popped into my head was mortal control. And when I think, when I say that, it means that they're, you know, from my point of view, there's, you can utilize all the mortal intelligence that we have books, history, science, all those tools. And you could be a genius with those platforms and be like, okay, I am so smart. I am so higher level. There's no God. There's no this because I have it here. I have all this controlled resources that I have to be a genius. But then I look at persons of faith and they don't have that but they're deemed dumber in my head. I'm like, how is that even possible? Because they are operating off the true implicit knowledge that when we die, we don't end. We don't, we're not just bodies that decompose into the ground. And that is it. No, we are off to our journeys, whether it's time in purgatory, whether it's hell or whether it's our eternal reward in heaven. Uh, I have my theories of where I'm going to go, but you know, I just know that, you know, as a person of faith, that confidence that I have, that it's not over that, that, that to me, understanding that, any limitations I could have possibly have here in this life, any obstacle, those are all going to be resolved when I move on. Well, I think, you know, early on in uh, early episodes, we discussed one time about how uh, Catholicism is a very mature faith. And I think that for some people, they, they just look at that um, kind of life after death or something after death mentality as it just being really novel. That you use that to stroke your ego and that you use that as a sense of comfort for your life now. But when you really buy into, and I hate to even use the verbiage buy into because I, I feel like I'm cheaping it, cheapening it. But when you buy into the fact that you are actually an otherworldly creature, you were created for a different purpose than here. This, this now as you know it, this reality is temporary. I mean, that requires a great amount of faith, a tremendous amount of faith. And people that don't understand Catholicism often look at that as, a, well, you could do whatever you want now. You could be, Rachel, the most horrible person because then you'll just ask for forgiveness at the end. And then you get to enjoy uh, this eternal reward you believe in. When, in fact, it's not really like that. Yeah. There's a lot more to it than just that. So Catholicism has many layers, and it is a complicated. Uh, it is a complicated religion. If we're being really truthful, it's it's not the easiest faith to adhere to. Not certainly not if you're trying to actually live as a Catholic and practice your faith. It's really complicated, and it's really. I mean, I know I, I probably sound like a broken record over here, but it's really demanding. It demands a lot of you. Now, it always demands a lot of you, whether you give in to the demands. And, you know, you're obedient. That's a totally different kind of topic. But it always demands. But because of our human condition, we are weak. And we often fail. And we don't meet those demands. But the demands are always there. It's not that we, we believe in this fickle God who just puts demands on us when it's easy. Or when it makes us look good. 
No, they're always there. You know, our broken humanity causes us to fail or allows us to fail. Our poor choices allow us to fail. You know, our laziness, our sloth allows us to fail and all these other things. But, you know, um, I, I think when you look at the way we are now as a society and um, just as a world as a whole, uh, there are so many things that are a lot easier for us these days than they once were. We've lost some of our, well, not some of, we've lost a lot of our connection with, with nature and the environment. And I think because so many things are easier and so much more is taken for granted, so much more is available or an option for us now that previously wasn't, I think man uh, falls into this really deceptive lie that the more autonomous he becomes, the less he relies on God. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around because if you look at you look at, obviously, not everyone gets the same luxuries as other people, right? But if you look at some of the most, um, or not even the most, but if you look at some of the people that are less fortunate, the luxuries that are afforded to them now, and please don't bomb, bomb me with hate mail, I understand everyone deserves to eat. I'm just saying, <laughs> if we look at some of the things that are available now as opposed to 20 and 30 years ago, uh, of course, our struggles are different. We hope to evolve as a society and to address wrongs and to get better at things. But because of thing, the different things that are so automatic now, that are so built in, we, we lose some of that reliance on God because we do fall into that deception. Like I said, we've become more and more autonomous where that need is not always as evident as it once was. Well, I think that's so, um, like, that is so absolutely on point to what we struggle with as society now. And one of, one of the things I challenge myself as a Catholic on quite a bit is why some of the obstacles of the human condition that we face now have not been solved. And an example I'm going to say is um, every human's accessibility to water. And you're going to be like, Rachel, this is big. But no, if you really think about it here, especially in the United States, we've got refrigerators that have water dispensers with filtration systems built into your refrigerator or your sink we've got plastic water bottles out the gazoo at costco or people carrying water bottles um with them to have it wherever you need you know people respond to the need the desire of people they create it and we've literally made a business out of water bottles now then you go to a third world nation where you've got people carrying jugs of water for miles at a time to their village and that is their reality if we are all part of the human condition and i asked myself as a catholic like how can i drink my water out of my dia de muertas tumbler and yet know that at the exact same time there is an entire village of people who doesn't have water right now and it's kind of you have to ask yourself like okay what are we really doing what are these gifts that we have, this science, this technology, what are we really utilizing it for so that people could carry around cool water bottles? Or can we actually address these world issues? See, that's where it's going to sound like I'm a weird conspiracy theorist, but I'm going to bring us back on topic. Because, <laughs> Oops. Because, see, that's part of my problem with being woke is I, I find it's, it's just, it's trendy, mm -hmm. right? And it's just whatever is the current ideology, because right now, we what are we doing? We have, like, you know, you, you always hear the saying, like, nah, I got bigger fish to fry. We got a lot of big fish to fry, but we're messing around with all these little bitty things, like, not even minnows, like tadpoles. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's another reason, uh, you know, that I don't think it's smart for us to, to try to be woke or to invest our time or energy in a woke movement, because is very fickle uh, and it comes and it goes you know it ebbs and it flows um, and we have certain issues that are grave and dire that are true injustices that we should they shouldn't ebb and flow they should always be front and center mm -hmm. and stuff like that you know we we walk to our kitchen to get water other people walk miles to get water for the week yep you know um, that shouldn't be trendy that should be something that's on our list. I will never forget 
right in the middle of a pre-pandemic, I was talking with the teenagers about something. And, um, one young man came to me, he goes, Oh, I think I like this girl. I'm like, Oh yeah. He's like, well, I know I'm going to get her for Valentine's day. I'm like, what? He's like, she'll want a Yeti, uh, Yeti water bottle and a scrunchie. And I'm like, okay. And another um, young teen goes, oh yeah, that's what girls want now is if the guy gets you your Yeti water bottles and your scrunchies, you know that you're together. I go, what? Like, no way. And so I was asking a couple other teens and that was just trending. It was like, oh, I'm going to get my water bottle. We're going to put our stickers on it, blah, blah. It became this thing pre-COVID. And I remember saying, like, are we talking about water bottles? Like, is this really where we're at? And it was. And then going back to Stacy's point about, you know, here we have villages that walk miles for the week for water in one jug. And I guarantee you guys, it's not purified. It's not sparkling. Yeah. It's river water. And it's full of things that aren't filtered. And you're risking hey, illness. my drinking water wasn't filtered for years. But I don't think that's my problem. I don't think mine was either. But I'm so, I love my tap water. I know I'm uh, so weird. No, I, our water legit came from the Mississippi River. And the bill was like a postcard size. And when it came and you flipped it over to see what the warnings were, it was never blank on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> well, my grandpa was worked for the water treatment plant up in Roseville forever. And he came and tested our water once when we were younger. He was like, you're never drinking this. And he like freaked out. And now, you know, we have like the water system and all these things many, many years later. And I always think of him when I drink it because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like it's my water. <laughs> but no, it's definitely something that as Catholics, especially when we're responding to trends and movements and all these things, we have to go back to these core values and these core ideals. And so that's like the perfect segue for us to go back to the claims that we hit as Catholics. Oh, I was totally about that. oh no, I got it ready. I, we got a couple more, but so it's happy so about this. <laughs> no, okay. I will say my favorite part when reflection and listening through was how I would just read the claims. They're not even my claims, and the response from Stace were my favorite. <laughs> I know there's just so but it's what we get as Catholics these challenges and so if you want to catch up from where we were listen to our last podcast we went through the first six I know but this will be good I'm hoping Stacy's brain doesn't blow by the time we're over this but this should be good so this is the seventh claim that we get as Catholics 12 so we're halfway Oh Halfway, you're you've got this. No third show on this. Oh no, this is it. This yeah. is it. We're gonna be done. So it says dissent is actually a positive thing, since we should all keep our minds open to new ideas. Hmm. You know what I hear when I hear that? Well, this is just too hard and it doesn't work for my life, so I'll just kind of change it to work for my life. Let me just water it down. Yep. You know, kind of like when someone told me one time, "Well, the church is okay with birth control." I went. No kidding, you don't say. And they went, yeah, I read that. And I went, oh, really? And they're like, yeah. And then so I started talking about uh, Paul VI's uh, Humanae Vitae. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's what I read. And I went, so let me get this straight because I just, I, ho- I want to understand each other. I'm a spirit of understanding. And, and there's going to be some compassion on my part. You read in Humanae Vitae that it was okay to, to use artificial birth control. And they went, yeah. And I went, okay. And they're like, you don't have anything to say? I went, no. <laughs> that's that's the conversation in the room. You think you read that in Humani Vitae? But the truth is, we're so guilty of stuff like that all the time because we figure, wow, that's too hard. What with a lot of different things we do that we're like, yeah, that's too hard. So I'm gonna like do it kinda. I'll take a little bit of it, like the part that's easy for me to implement in my life, or that I'm currently already implementing, and then the hard part, uh, I just leave that out. Because everybody needs room to grow, right? Yep. That's kinda like be open minded. <laughs> Well, when I hear that, I immediately, the first phrase that comes in my head is the concept of cafeteria Catholic, where, where you kind of go, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we're founded in this faith and it's, it's the good, bad, and the ugly of it. We understand that it's like a whole thing, but especially now people like to pick and choose of like, you know, they view like, it's like hometown buffet. Like I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this. And you're like, oh no, you take the whole thing. And there are even parts, and I'm anyone that knows me knows I am not the best Catholic by any means. Um, I definitely am always going to be a work in progress in the eyes of God. Um, 
and there are things that I still struggle with and try to uh, build my understanding of. But that's where prayer is so important. When you get to a concept where you're like, I really am struggling, that's where you pray and you reflect. You try to listen and not listen with your brain already giving you the answer, actually shutting it off and being open to what God is trying to say. Uh, that's where I've had to train myself to be better, especially when I hit some concepts that are deeply personal to me and yet they're going to have an opposition with my faith. And that's, that's very hard to do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be honest in the spirit of, own, you know, you do the crime, you do the time, we got to own it. So there's plenty of us that are employees of the church. Uh, including lay people, clergy, and religious. And we have been, uh, not myself personally, but we have been promoters of, um, well, in the old church, they would just call it what it is, heresy. In the new church, they would call it progressivism. But we have been the promoters of um, non-Catholic or contra-Catholic ideas. And, and unfortunately, again, speaking back to the uncatechized, um, you know, when someone who doesn't know any better hears that from a pulpit or from a priest or a nun or someone who's either high up in the church or works for the church, they take that as the truth or as teaching. And that itself leads to dissent, you know. So we have to really kind of, you know, think about that. And someone's going to steal my idea. But, hey, you know, you can make a T-shirt out of it. The struggle is part of the journey, man. I mean... I, I say it all the time on here. The things you struggle with, you know, when you're 20 are not the same when you're 25 or 30. But you get there. I mean, that's the that's one of the beauties of, you know, uh, trying to, I wouldn't say master your faith, but to grow in your faith. You know, it grows with you. And some of those things become easier and some of them stay difficult for your whole life. Yeah. And it's so, and one thing that has definitely come more natural to me as I've been older versus when I was a younger Catholic is building relationships with your priests, building relationships within your church, actually going and making these friendships so that you can have these conversations about perspective. Um, I'm going to give a pretty funny um, response to something that happened to me in my personal life. Um, I'm big on terms of you know, celebrating the dead and doing things like that. Uh, I've had a, but had my fair share of funerals in my life. And one of the things I really struggled with was I just couldn't wrap my head around being buried in a coffin. And I don't, and I'm just for my own preference, I'm against, um, uh, cremation. So here I am like struggling with this and I come across, um, being buried in a tree pod. I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, that's perfect for me. I get to, my body will be decomposed into this tree. I can be buried in a cemetery. Like in my head, I'm like, this is genius. I'm so excited. I can't believe you submitted this to me. Oh, you were there when I had this conversation, I think. Or if it was somebody I else. I was tuning you out. <laughs> no, like well. hardcore, because I don't remember this. Well. I go, you're going to continue. I'm just so eager. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I go and we're sitting here um, in our staff room and our, um, our priest comes through and I said, I have a question. And in my head, like my head's like, I'm a genius. This is the best idea I've ever had. I'm like going through prepping like down, down, down the road when I die plans. I'm like, here we go. And I drop it and he just looks at me like you idiot. Like it was just like the biggest face. He's like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, What? And I was just so upset. I said, like, yes, I can. I'm going to be a tree pod. And he goes, no, your body has to be resting. Like, no. And I said, listen, you know, I'm a very busy person. My body can be like decomposed and working when I die. It's very fitting. No. And I'm like, come on, blah, blah, blah. And I'm really pushing this hard. And finally, he's like, no. And it was just like the firmest no and I remember being crushed. Like in my head, I was like, my plans are ruined. This is what I wanted. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Guys, I'm fine. Nothing's going to happen to me. God willing, I should be safe. But at the time I was like, oh, this is the worst news. 
But then I had to pray about it and really focus. I'm going to be honest. I'm still going and trying to process. But it's when we hit those things where we encounter in our life. And we're like, I'm so stuck on it. You want to have these conversations with your peers, with your worker, uh, with your coworkers, with your priests. No, you so don't that want they... to have them with your coworkers. Don't have it with me. You don't want to have it with your coworkers. Listen, listen, you were in the I... room when I had this conversation. I viewed that. I was like, here, you were if present. I'm lying. I'm dying. I blogged this out. <laughs> I do not remember this. We did. We had this conversation. It doesn't matter. But I did have this conversation. I got my no. Um, but it's like when you do have these things where, especially modern trends, like, oh, I absolutely want this. And then you're hit with the church saying, no, that was my whole point. It was like, okay, there's a reason. Not that Stacy tunes me out on the regular with my no, idea. No, I know. But obviously I was working really hard to not hear this. <laughs> Just saying. I, mean, I gotta be honest. <laughs> We're gonna get all these ads for tree pods out. <laughs> It's like, I'm gonna be like, yeah, I don't want that. Let me be clear. No. <laughs> Alright, next claim. Next claim. So, properly interpreted, the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. Rather, it weighs against promiscuity, whether homosexual or heterosexual. Therefore, we have no reason to oppose loving homosexual relationships. You hear the silence? Mm-hmm. I'm not touching on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, this one, I will admit, this one's difficult for me uh, just because I am, uh, I have many loved ones in my life uh, who are gay. And like I said, last advice, pray on it. Ask for that wisdom because this <laughs> can be rough. <laughs> I, no only comments I'll make is I, I think that um, Catholics need to reevaluate the fact that, um, yes, we do believe that homosexuality, homosexuality in all forms is, um, you know, morally, I don't want to use evil because it, that's a harsh word for some people to hear, but it is kind of morally uh, reprehensible. It, it is wrong. It's sinful. What I wish is that instead of people getting hung up on just that, we could look at the fact that there's a lot of other things that are wrong also that we do that no one sheds light on. Um, they are said if you're engaged in a homosexual relationship um, and you're sexually active, yes, you are engaging in sin. But, and here's the but, and this is not watered down Catholicism, um, that's what you are as a sinner. And so am I. And when it comes to living promiscuous lives, uh, and the argument that, well, the Catholic Church will never approve a homosexual union, therefore, we would always be in sin, because if we marry, you know, then we're not truly married, blah, 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 I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. But we also don't get hung up on the fact that if we're having sex out of marriage, it's sinful. Or if we're having sex outside of marriage with someone who's married, there's two sins there also. So I think it's important for us, um, you know, to realize those things also and it's always you know my biggest thing is that with, with homosexuality is it's always easier to point out someone else's sins good lord i could do that all day you know what i mean that's mm -hmm. way easier than looking at myself and who am i to say uh actually let me walk that back i don't want to say that because Pope <laughs> francis once said that and it didn't go too well but um you know I cannot uh, look at other people and judge their behavior to be more sinful than mine. Yes. Okay. So those are accountability issues that enter into uh, gray areas that also require uh, certain amounts of knowledge and a uh, certain amount of intent. There are other things that enter into those decisions. And I just think that to just look at it on the surface there's way more to that and i also would encourage people the other thing that kind of bugs me because i've seen a number of kids struggle this way with this and it can be really hurtful as well as hurtful in you know within family units is the fact that um you know that person themselves may be struggling if we ostracize them or ridicule them or judge them or treat them unjustly just because of that um so, yeah, at the end of the day, they're still sinful, but what does that make us? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things as a high school youth minister 
and a confirmation coordinator that I wanted to do when I built this program is I wanted to create a place of safety for all teens. It doesn't even matter if they were involved with our program or not. I wanted this to be a space and I wanted them to know that they were loved and valued and respected in this room. And that was just from the way I grew up, things that I've experienced that weren't as kind. Uh, I wanted that here. And I, when I first started like, years ago, uh, and I was working with the teens, I said that first day of all the sessions, I said, this room, this place, these classes, you get to be yourself and you are loved and valued and respected all the time, but especially in this room. And I didn't think anything I said was particularly wise or particularly God-sended, but it touched someone very deeply. And I didn't know this until almost a year and a half later. And this teenager, I didn't know was struggling with these feelings. And she ended up growing very close with me and our program really doing amazing work. And ultimately when it, you know, it came time, we're reading through letters to get confirmed and we're sending them to the Bishop. I'm reading her story and I'm so blown away by her testimony and her path to faith. And as a person going through these questions for herself and her life and what she wants to do, knowing that she's still going through that and then building such a strong foundation of faith and this relationship with God and her chosen saints and her sponsor and her family and seeing that transform. It was a miracle to witness. And I was just like, wow, this is, this could have gone so sideways. This could have gone so bad. And yet it's something evolving and beautiful and changing. And so I think that's a challenge that I'm always going to want in to embrace is that when they come through these doors at this youth building, come as you are and to know that you're loved and respected and cared for. And that's something I pray I never lose. Yeah. And you know, the last episode we were talking about how I, how it is my opinion. Uh, let me be real clear on that. That one of the problems I do have with uh, wokeism is that it falls short of answering. It picks up an issue that is, definitely an injustice mm-hmm. it uh, should be an absolute truth it's an injustice but that it, its response its solution falls short um i don't know if i've, I've spoken about this before this is homosexuality was not something that i i grew up with was not something that i had any real experience with until i came to california um and oh my gosh do not write me i know there are gay people in louisiana um <laughs> You gotta be, you know, I get weird comments. So I we do be, get weird comments. I mean, it's fair. It's yeah, fair. I'm aware there are gay people in Louisiana. Yes. Okay. Anyways, um, it was something that I think I really came in contact with when my daughter was in high school. And so she always had the same group of friends. And, and one time, you know, there's just always this kid that came over. And um, I didn't think anything of it. Cause I just don't think, I, I, I mean, honestly, y'all might think I'm ignorant, but I really just don't think about those kind of things. So anyways, um, kid came over and I don't know what Katie was doing, but she was doing something and the kid ended up in the kitchen with me. And, uh, he says, um, Mrs. Huck, can I ask you something? And I said, sure. And he looked at me with a straight face and he said, how come you're always so nice to me? And I went, what? And he says, how come you're always so nice to me? And, um... I don't want to say the kid's name, but anyway, so I'm like, well, I don't know. You're a sweet young kid. I said, you're always polite to me. Why wouldn't I be nice to you? You're one of my daughter's best friends, blah, blah, blah. And he says, but, but you're Catholic. Cause Katie told me y'all are Catholic. And I said, yeah, we're Catholic. I said, but you know, some Catholics are actually nice. And he laughed and he said, <laughs> he says, no, that's not what I mean. though." And he says, why are you so nice to me? And I said, I'm not any nicer to you than I'm, than I am to any of Katie's friends. You're always very polite and courteous to me, you know? He said, well, I'm just, I said, I don't understand where you're going with this. And he said, well, I'm just really surprised that you're so nice to me, even though you think I'm going to hell. And I went, whoa, whoa, what? Yeah. Talk about the conversation took a turn. (laughs) And so I'm like, what? 
I don't understand. And I said, why in the world would you think that I think you're going to hell? And he goes, well, I'm sure you know that I'm gay. And I went, first of all, um, I don't really, you know, I don't really think about those kind of things. And he goes, okay, but now that you know, you are you sure going to be nice to me? And I went, well, yeah. And he goes, but but you do think I'm going to hell? And I said, I I no, like I don't even know you well enough to. I should never make that judgment, but I don't I don't know you well enough, you know. I'm like, yeah. So then I was trying to like lighten the mood. I'm like, well, you know, if you kill at least eleven people as opposed to ten, I'm pretty sure <laughs> you might be going the other way. And he goes, No, I'm serious. He goes, because my mom's a Christian, and I'm like, okay. And he says, I'm pretty certain that my mom thinks I'm going to hell. But my mom doesn't know that I'm I'm gay. And I said, well, you know, maybe, you know, you don't know that for certain. And he goes, oh, no, my mom said she believes gay people go to hell. I went, okay, well, there's that. Um, guess you do know that she thinks that. And he goes, well, well, again, my mom doesn't know. So I said, well, do you, do you want your mom to know or what? And he goes, well, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while, and I would like to tell her because I feel like I'm I'm hiding something. But I kind of think that I want to have a boyfriend. And I said, oh, dude, I don't know if I'm the best person to be talking to this about. And he goes, well, he goes, I still can't believe that you don't think that I'm going to hell. And I said, I, I really don't, man. I don't, I don't think that. I'm like, we don't think, Catholics don't think like that. So, you know, I, we had the same conversation that I just spoke to about, you know, it being sinful and whatnot. And I said, give this some thought. Have you thought for a long time that you probably were gay? That you were attracted to other boys? He says, yeah. He says, like, probably at least, like, five years. Okay? I said, okay. I said, think about it like this. If you tell your mom today, you're expecting your mom to get to a place that took you five years to get to. If she does believe you're going to hell and she blows up at you, which is a good possibility, it's not going to go over like you see on TV, you got to be prepared for that. You know? But you never know. You may open her eyes to the fact that you're still her son. You're, you know, you, she still loves you, and you may be able to go from there. But you gotta be prepared that when you, when you do tell her, it'll have taken however long it took you to get to that point. She's not gonna get there overnight, especially if she believes that gay people go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's not gonna be able to do what you did in a five-year period. She's not gonna be able to do it in 24 hours. The other thing that I want to speak to, because I know some people that are Catholic listening to this saying, oh, well, you sold out, Stacey. That's just watered down. No, it's not. It's realistic. Because this young man ended up telling me that he had never had any kind of relationship with the same sex. He'd only thought about it. It was a struggle for him. He felt like he was attracted to the same sex, but he wasn't even sure that's what he wanted. So the reason I'm saying this is because I'm not I'm not selling out and it's not watered down, okay? For one, I absolutely gave him what the Catholic Church teaches on homosexuality, okay? Which he found interesting, even though he was not Catholic. I was myself and my daughter were the only Catholic experience he'd ever had, yeah. You know, and my husband. But there is this idea out there that you can't be Catholic and be gay, and I'm just saying. Maybe some people need to think about the fact that some people that do identify as homosexuals, it is a struggle. And I'm not saying like, oh, poor them, like, you know, someone's making them sleep with someone. Else. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there are some people that are attracted to people of the same sex. They have never acted upon it. So actually, there's no sin yet, mm -hmm. you know, technically speaking, but it is a struggle for them. And I think that we have to be compassionate to that. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And he was definitely, for such a young person, I think he was like, I think that tells me he was 17 or 18 when he was talking to me. He was in this weird, perplexed stage where he had feelings, he had knowledge, he had reality, and he just was really bound up on which way he was going to go. And the kid really needed support. I'm not saying he needed... For his ego to be stroked to go in the direction that was easy for him or in the direction he wanted to go he was legitimately torn on what he wanted to do and how he wanted to respond you yeah. know and and i think that's important um 
and Catholic parents, if you're listening and you're sitting there on the other end of your headphones rolling your eyes right now, I'm telling you right now, it could be anybody whose kid comes to them. And so you have to think about that. And I've known, I've personally known in the last couple of years, several people who have struggled with homosexuality, and it wasn't as easy as it seemed in the movies. Oh, it's never <clears> as easy. <throat> I remember when um, I was um, living in Los Angeles, uh, the parish I came to had their own very small LGBTQ group in the church and they it was like a group of people who were identified as homosexual but still also identified as catholic and they would go and have these conversations and it was so important that they came from a place of love but not just love for each other but a love of god and in christ and their faith and it was just so humbling to be a part to go to a couple meetings of theirs and to you know meet these people and these Catholics that really do, even more than they love their peers, love God. And that was like the fundamental part of their identity was their faith. And so I think that is something that, especially now that we're coming out of this pandemic and we're living, we do need to address how are we supporting Catholics who identify as homosexual and how can we love them and support them the best way? And I would even correct you and say we just need to support Catholics that are struggling because right now after this pandemic and during this pandemic, we have had a lot of Catholics who have begun to identify with different ideologies that are actually anti-Catholic. Yes. Not just, and let me just put a stamp of disclaimer in case anyone's again rolling their eyes at me. I'm in no way condoning homosexual behavior. I'm not advocating for uh, gay marriage or anything like that. I would be against all those things. Um, I'm just saying that uh, sometimes we need to be sensitive to the fact that, believe it or not, it is a real thing that some people are caught in a real dilemma with their faith and with different kind of obstacles in their lives. Yes, I would agree. You know. Oof. Well, for us going to gloss it over, we did hit that one pretty hard. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any comments. I know, we didn't. We're good. I didn't have any comments. <laughs> All right, next claim. Catholics should follow their conscience in all things, whether it's abortion, birth control, or women's ordination. Yeah. No, no, no. No. No, no, no. Uh, So this is where... Again, this is this is bending it to what you want. Exactly. This is this is bending it to what you want, and this is the women's ordination speaks to the no absolute truth. You know. Yep. One good thing we're not good as Catholics is obedience. The virtue of obedience. We should pray for that a whole lot more. I would say as humanity, obedience is probably the biggest hurdle that we have. And I'll admit, I am so disobedient in myself and things to standards I try to set for myself and what God has for me. Oh, I'm always trying to find that loophole and be like, oh, I got this and sneak around. No. Um, however, these issues, the conscience, and I think this is a reminder I tell myself all the time, my conscience is built on my brain and my experience. It's not God. It's me. So why on earth would I say I have to follow my conscience? I'm following myself. That's just the loophole of destruction there. <laughs> because I will, like, if I had it my way, oh, it would be crazy. But I do have to go back to my faith and be like, ooh, okay, what should I be doing? It's very much the angel the little angel on the shoulder is very i have to rely on that little guy and i exhaust him i'm sorry that's very true (laughs) next next one next Next one next um natural family planning is just the catholic version of birth control that's a that's a long topic natural family planning is um it, it it can be used uh, to prevent pregnancy. However, there's a lot of differences in between that and artificial birth control. One, uh, you're not um, doing it by means of, you know, by artificial means. And then also, oh my gosh, not to get too, delve too deep into this, a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people think that natural uh, family planning, NFP, only entails the use of no pills, 
no kind of um, no condom, no um, you know any kind of physical type deal. But natural family planning also prohibits uh, withdrawal. Um, it it does it's prohibitive on um, uh, any kind of acts that will result in like a male orgasm outside of a woman's body. Um, it, it's very yeah, it's, natural family planning is the real deal. It's a lot of work, but it is. But the important thing to remember about natural family planning is it is built on the idea of sacrifice. It is it is a two person relationship, a two person commitment that um, you cannot always do what you want whenever you want. It is has this huge sacrifice uh, component built into you know alongside the conjugal love component. It actually, when practiced properly, can be a beautiful thing. I, I personally, I encourage all um, all young families, all uh, newly married people, to incorporate NFP early at the beginning of the marriage because if you try later, it can be very difficult because it does require a lot of sacrifice on both parts. And so, and there's apps out there for that, by the way. I will say I have zero experience. Rachel's looking the, at me like, oh I'm my like, gosh, I can't believe you just said all that. I no, told you, it's I mean, very involved. I mean, as a, as a modern Catholic, I have chosen other pathways for myself. Um, but it is something that I would, again, falling back into my poor little conscience that I exhaust with my disobedience, I would have to train my brain in a completely different way. Um, but I'm not against it. I'm not against it by any means, but I was definitely something that I would have to, it would take a high level of convincing. I'm just going to put that out there. Just before we move on, actually NFP implemented properly in a marriage is highly effective for for preventing or spacing pregnancies. Interesting. That is a scientific fact, my folks. So go ahead and look it up. It's based (laughs) on science. Yes, but it is it is a lot of work. I should say that. You know what I mean? All right. Looking at the time, you guys aren't going to believe it. We're almost done. So we're going to hit our last one. And so it's people's memories of their past lives prove that reincarnation is true and that the Christian view of heaven and hell is not. Was somebody high when they wrote that? <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. I'm dying because I am being serious. Right no, now. I'm sounds, reading the claim as it is written. And I'm being honest. That sounds some kind of like some kind of epiphany if you like you get when you like tripping on mushrooms or like smoked a whole bunch of weed or something. Come on. I mean, reincarnation. The proof for reincarnation is that you have past memories. Are you kidding me? There is so much to the psychology of visions and dreamscapes and all these things that I just laugh at that claim. I would literally just be like, what now? Let me tell you right now. If that is true, I'm feeling pretty ripped off right about now. Because I'm ready for a next reincarnation. I joke all the time that if I were, like, I know it's not even possible. It's not. But if I were reincarnated, there's no way I'd come back as a human. I am such a wolf or a dog. There'd be no way that if we were going to do this over again, which why would we? I would be like, no, I'm going to come back as a human again. No way. There's no way. But yeah, no, it definitely Catholics, not for the reincarnation argument. Um, Just when I thought the lunacy couldn't get any greater, you throw the last one out. I this mean, is the last claim. It's the last one that we get. This is I, what I, we... I wouldn't have saw this coming. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's so crazy. It is, yeah. No, I, I mean. I said I had no comments on the other thing and I commented a whole bunch. This time I have no comments. Like, move on. <laughs> like, on. Stace, you've never considered on. your vision. Reincarnation? No, I've always subscribed to the theory that I hope, I sure, well, I can't say I sure as hell hope, but I sure hope that I'm not going to hell. But I know I'm certainly going to purgatory. Um, not because I know that I'm not going to hell, but because I know that I'm certainly not going to heaven first. But. Um, no, I've always ha- held a real traditional view of um, of life and end of life, you know, the four last things, and the afterlife. Yeah. No, th- never, so there's no coming back, no other creature. I've actually never, can honestly say, I've never entertained anything else because it, there's different things in my faith that kind of, you know, get me thinking sometimes, but 
that in particular, um, you know, that facet of the faith, the four last things, um, I absolutely see. I just, I, nothing else I could entertain. It, I mean, it, for me, it's completely logical. So I know you guys can't see us. You're only hearing us. But when I drop that claim, I don't think I've seen Stacey's eyes <laughs> enlarge so quickly. I'm like, what? It was, yeah, that's a claim. Um, I want to hear from you guys. I want to see if you guys are going to leave us crazy comments anyway. I want to hear what are some of the craziest claims that you've had as a Catholic that when we are working to defend and promote our faith, we want to hear, we want to see some of the things that you've given us. Um, this is, if you are interested in having these conversations in your family, we uh, reach out to us. We can send you this link. Uh, but this is a really great way for you to prepare for some of the things that we get questioned about. Some of the more popular things. Um, the reincarnation was definitely a fun way to end this one. But um, for all of us, I'm just cracking up. I think it's funny. Wolf Rachel's pretty happy about it. But in any event, totally all jokes aside, um, I have a good closing prayer for us to kind of continue that seeking discernment in all these times. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God of silence and God of all sound, help me to listen. Help me to do the deep listening to the sounds of my soul waiting to hear your soft voice calling me deeper into you. Give me attentive ears that begin to separate the noise from the sounds that are you. You who have been speaking to me and through me my whole life, so for long that you can seem like background noise. Today, help me hear you and respond to you anew. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, that has been our Trial by Fire podcast for this week with Stacy and Rachel. Have a beautiful week, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Yep, take it easy.